Tonight we present, for your questionable listening pleasure, a story by Joseph Sheridan Lufano, entitled The Ghost and the Bone Setter. In looking over the papers of my late valued and respected friend Francis Purcell, who for nearly 50 years discharged the arduous duties of a parish priest in the south of Ireland, I met with the following document. It is one of many as such, for he was a curious and industrious collector of old local traditions, a commodity in which the quarter where he resided mightily abounded. The collection and arrangement of such legends was, as long as I can remember him, his hobby, but I'd never learned that his love of the marvellous and whimsical had carried him so far as to prompt him to commit the results of his inquiries to writing, until, in the character of residuary legatee, his will put me in possession of all his manuscript papers. To such as may think the composing of such productions as this inconsistent with the character and habits of a country priest, it is necessary to observe that there did exist a race of priests, those of an old school, a race now nearly extinct, whose habits were from many causes more refined, and whose tastes more literary than those of the alumni of Maynooth. It is perhaps necessary to add that the superstition illustrated by the following story, namely the corpse last buried is obliged during his junority of internment to supply his brother tenants of the churchyard in which he lies with fresh water to allay the burning thirst of purgatory is prevalent throughout the south of Ireland. The writer can vouch for a case in which a respectable and wealthy farmer on the borders of Tipperary, in tenderness to the corns of his departed helpmate, enclosed in her coffin two pairs of brogues, a light and a heavy, the one for dry, the other for sloppy weather, seeking thus to mitigate the fatigues of her inevitable perambulations in procuring water and administrating it to the thirsty souls of purgatory. Fierce and desperate conflicts have ensued in the case of two funeral parties approaching the same churchyard together, each enduring to secure to his own dead priority of sepulture and the consequent immunity from the tax levied upon the pedestrian powers of the last comer. An instance not long since occurred in which one of the two parties, through fear of losing to their deceased friend this inestimable advantage, made their way to the churchyard by a shortcut and in violation of one of their strongest prejudices actually threw the coffin over the wall lest time should be lost in making their entrance through the gate. Innumerable instances of the same kind might be quoted, all tending to show how strongly among the peasantry of the South this superstition is entertained. However, I shall not detain you any further by any prefatory remarks, but shall proceed to lay before you the following, an extract from the miscellaneous papers of the late Reverend Francis Purcell of Drumcula. It was raining smart enough, and the evening was darksome and gloomy when my father got in, and the holy water he sprinkled on himself. It wasn't long till he had to swallow a cup of the potine to keep the cold out of his heart. It was the old steward, Lawrence Connor, that opened the door, and he and my father were always very great. So when he seen who it was, and my father told him how it was his turn to watch in the castle, he offered to sit up along with him, and you may be sure my father wasn't sorry for that same. So says Larry, We'll have a bit of fire in the parlor. And why not in the hall, says my father, for he knew the squire's picture was hung in the parlor. No fire can be lit in the hall, for there's an old jackdaw's nest in the chimney. Oh, then... Let's stop in the kitchen, for it's very improper for the likes of me to be sitting in the parlour. Oh, Terry, that can't be. If we keep up the old custom at all, we may as well keep it up properly. Devil sweep the old custom. 
says my father to himself, do you mind? For he didn't like to let Lawrence see that he was more afraid himself. Oh, very well. I'm agreeable, Lawrence. So both they down went to the kitchen, till the fire be lit in the parlour, and that same wasn't long doing. Well, Your Honour, they soon went up again, and sat down mighty comfortable by the parlour fire. And they began to talk and to smoke, and to drink a small taste of the poteen. And moreover, they had a good rousing fire of bogwood and turf to warm their shins over. Well, sir, as I was saying, they kept conversing and smoking together most agreeable, until Lawrence began to get sleepy. As was but natural for him, for he was an old servant man who was used to a great deal of sleep. Sure, it's impossible, says my father. It's getting sleepy, you are. Oh, devil a taste. I'm only shutting me eyes to keep out the perfume of the tobacco smoke that's making the water. So don't you mind other people's business. And go on. Go on with your story, for I'm listening. Says he, shutting down his eyes. Well, when my father seen bacon was no use, he went on with his story. By the same token, it was the story of Jim Sullivan and his old goat he was telling. And a pleasant story it is. There was so much diversion in it. There was enough to waken a dormouse, let alone prevent a Christian going to sleep. But Faye, the way my father told it, I believe there was never the likes heard since, nor before, for he bawled at every word of it as if the life was fairly leaving him trying to keep old Larry awake. But Faye, it was no use, for the hoarseness came on him, and before he came to the end of his story, Larry O'Connor began to snore like a bagpipes. Oh, Blur and Eggers, says my father. Isn't this a hard case? That old villain letting on to be my friend, to go asleep this way and both of us in the very room with the spirit. The cross of Christ about us. And with that he was going to shake Lawrence to waken him, but he just remembered if he roused him that he'd surely go off to his bed and leave him completely alone. That'd be far worse. Oh, then, I'll not disturb the poor boy, to be neither friendly nor good-natured, to torment him while he's asleep. Only... I wish I was the same way myself. And with that, he began to walk up and down, saying his prayers, until he worked himself into a sweat to save in your presence. But it was all no good, so he drunk about a pint of spirits to compose his mind. Oh, I wish the Lord I was as easy in my mind as Larry there. Maybe if I tried, I could go to sleep. And with that, he pulled a big armchair close beside Lawrence and settled himself in as well as he could. But there was one queer thing I forgot to tell you. He couldn't help, in spite of himself, looking now and then at the picture and he immediately observed that the eyes of it was following him around and staring at him and winking at him wherever he went. Oh, he says when he seen that, it's a poor chance I have, and bad luck was with me the day I came into this unfortunate place. But anyway, there's no use in being freckin' now, for if I'm to die, I may as well perspire and enter. Well, Your Honor, he tried to keep himself quiet and easy, and he thought two or three times he might have went to sleep. But for the way the storm was groaning and creaking through the great heavy branches outside, and whistling through the old chimneys of the castle. Well, after one great roar and blast of the wind, you'd think the walls of the castle was just going to fall, quite plain, with a shaking of it. All of a sudden, the storm stopped, silent and as quiet as if it was a July evening. Well, Your Honor, it wasn't stopped blowing for three minutes before he thought I heard a sort of noise over the chimney piece. And with that, my father just opened his eyes the smallest taste in life. And sure enough, sees the old squire getting out of the picture, for all the world as if he was throwing off his riding coat, until he stepped out clean and complete, out of the chimney piece, and thrown himself down on the floor. Well, the sleeve ain't old chap, and my father thought it was the dirtiest turn of all. Before he began to do anything out of the way, he stopped, for a while, to listen where they both were asleep, and as soon as he thought all was quiet, put out his hand, took hold of the whiskey bottle, and drank a taste a pint of it. Well, Your Honour, when he took his turn out of it, he settled it back mighty cute entirely. 
the very same spot it was before. And he began to walk up and down the room, looking as sober and as solid as he had ever known the likes of it at all. And whenever he went past my father, he thought he felt a great scent of brimstone. And it was that that freckened him entirely, for he knew it was brimstone that was burned in hell, save in your presence. And at any rate, he'd often heard it from Father Murphy, and he'd a right to know what belonged to it. He's dead since. God rest him. Well, Your Honor, my father was easy enough until his spirit came past him so close, God be merciful to us all, that the smell of the sulfur took the breath clean out of him. And with that, he took such a fit of coughing that it almost shook him out of the chair he was sitting in. Whoa, says the squire, stopping short about two steps off and turning around facing me, father. It is you that's in it. And how's all with you, Terry Needle? At your honor's service, says my father, as well as the fright he'd let him for he was more dead than alive. And it's proud I am to see your honor tonight. Terence, you're a respectable man, an industrious, sober man, and an example of iniquity to the whole parish. Thank you, your honor, says my father, getting courage. You are always a civil-spoken gentleman. God rest your honor. Rest my honor? Rest my honor? Why, you ignorant spalpeen, you maining rubbish. Where did you leave your manners? If I'm dead, it's no fault of mine. And it's not to be thrown in my teeth at every hand's turn by the likes of you. Oh, I'm only a foolish, ignorant man, says me father. You're nothing else. But anyway, it's not to be listening to your coster nor conversing with the likes of you that I came up down, I mean. Listen to me now, Terence Neal. I was always a good master to Patrick Neal, your grandfather. Tis true for your honor. And moreover, I think I was always a sober, regular gentleman. That's your name, sure enough. Though it was a big lie for me, Father. He couldn't help it. Well, although I was as sober as most men, at least as most gentlemen, and though I was at different periods a most extempore Christian, a most charitable and inhuman to the poor, for all that I'm not as easy where I am now, as I had a right to expect. And more's the pity, says me, Father. Maybe your honor would wish to have a word with Father Murphy. Hold your tongue, you miserable blaggard. It's not of my soul I'm thinking. And I wonder what you'd have the impertinence to talk to a gentleman concerning his soul. And when I want that fixed, I'll go to them that knows what belongs to the likes. It's not my soul that's annoying me most. I'm uneasy in my right leg. That I broke at Glenbarch the day I killed Black Barney. My father found out after it was a favorite horse that fell under him after leaping the big fence that runs along by the glen. I hope, says my father, your honor's not uneasy about the killing of him. Hold your tongue, you fool. And I'll tell you why I'm uneasy in my leg. In the place where I spend most of my time, except for the little leisure I have for looking about me here, I have to walk a great deal more than I was ever used to. And by far more than is good for me either. For I must tell you, the people where I am is uncommonly fond of cold water. And there's nothing better to be had. And moreover, the weather's hotter than it is altogether pleasant. And I'm appointed to assist in carrying the water and gets a mighty poor share of it myself. And a mighty troublesome wearing job it is, I can tell you. For they're all of them surprisingly dry, and drinks it as fast as me legs can carry it. But what kills me entirely is the weakness in me leg. And I want you to give it a pull or two to bring it to shape. And that's the long and the short of it. Oh, please, your honor, says me father, for he didn't like to handle the spirit at all. I wouldn't have the impertinence to do the likes to your honor. It's only to poor creatures like myself I'd do it to. None of your blarney. Here's me leg. Pull it for the bare life. 
And if you don't, by the immortal powers, I'll not lave a bone in your carcass. I'll not powder. When my father heard that, he seen there was no use in pretending. So he took hold of the leg, and he kept pulling and pulling till the sweat, God bless us, began to pour down his face. Pull, you devil. At your service, Your Honor. Pull harder. My father pulled like the devil. I'll take a little sup, says the squire, reaching over his hand to the bottle. To keep off me courage. But as cute as he was, he was out here, for he took the wrong one. Here's to your good health, Terence. And now, pull like the very devil. And with that, he lifted the bottle of holy water, but it was hardly to his mouth when he let a screech out. You'd think the room would fairly split with it, and made one chuck that sent the leg clean off his body in my father's hands. Down went the squire over the table, and bang went my father halfway across the room on his back, upon the floor. When he came to himself, the cheerful morning sun was shining through the windy shutters, and he was lying flat on his back, with a leg of one of the great old chairs pulled clean out of the socket, and tight in his hand, pointing up to the ceiling. An old Larry, fast asleep, snoring loud as ever. My father went that morning to Father Murphy, and from that day to the day of his death, he never neglected confession nor mass, and what he told was better believed than he spake of it seldom. And as for the squire, that is, the spirit, whether it was that he did not like his liquor, or by reason of the loss of his leg, he was never known to walk again. Our thanks to Mr. Kevin MacLeod for composing, arranging, and performing the music used in this piece. All voices by Mrs. Eugenia Mooney and Mr. Michael Fury. Produced by Mr. Michael Fury. Thank you for listening.